Yeah. 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 Booming out in Sabonet like Lou Will. Six men like Lou Will. Welcome back, folks, to the Six Man Podcast. Solely focused on the National Basketball Association. With yours truly, Alex Moskowitz from the Emory Wheel Sports Section. And Aaron Perlstein from Fanaractive. Okay, so this podcast will be broadcast on all platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And now that a wild, exciting free agency has basically come to a close with all the top-tier free agents off the board, we're going to dive into a little segment we are now calling the Question Session. Ooh. Okay, so, first question. Are the Clippers the best team in the West after their acquisition of both Paul George... And Kawhi Leonard. I mean, <clears throat> I think they already had a really, really young core, and they're bringing in these two superstars. And you know, you never really know with the West because there's so many teams that are that could be viable for you know the West Conference Finals contention. Uh, but I love what they did. You know, they went out and they got amazing defenders. You know, right now, if you took the t- their st- uh, projected starting five defensive ratings. They're the eighth best team, and that's only five players on their team, and they have great defenders off the bench. I mean, they bring back Zubac. They bring back all these guys with what they did, and, you know, I don't see how we could say that they're not the they're, they're not the favorite in the West, and they're not the favorite in Los Angeles. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think the Clippers, with their acquisition of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, are the best team in the West. Um I think, you know, adding those two top 10 players to a team that won 48 games last year and, you know, took the Warriors to six games, I think, I think you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George add at least, you know, 10 to 12 wins. So if you build on that 48 wins, especially considering how young their roster was, you really didn't have any guys over 30, maybe except Patrick Beverly, who they brought back. He's a great defender. But adding Kawhi Leonard, the finals MVP, and Paul George, a guy who finished top three in the NBA regular season MVP voting, you have to say, given that the Warriors lost Kevin Durant, if the Warriors get Kevin Durant back, they're one of the best teams of all time, and I don't think anybody is rivaling them. But since Kevin Durant went to the Nets, and given that he's injured anyway, and he wouldn't have played anyway if they had gotten him back, I think the Clippers are now the clear favorites in the West. You know, they play defense. Uh, they have they have shooters. They have guys who can penetrate the paint in uh, in Lou Williams. And also, the only thing that I really see as a weakness for the Clippers is the fact that they don't have a clear, established veteran center. You know, do you put Montres Harrell, a guy who's six eight, and really is more of a an energy big man, Kenneth Fareed type? Guy off the bench. He's much better than in, Kenneth Reed. Do you put him in? I mean, Kenneth Reed was pretty good. No, Montrezl Harrell Fre- is Kenneth a. Kenneth Reed made made a uh, USA net men's basketball team. Okay, so let's Montrezl Harrell is, is done. He's transitioned his game. He can now hit the three with confidence. He's he can hit mid range. He's a dead on mid range shooter. He's an unbelievable defender. He's a great pick and roll player. He can finish above the rim. He can finish below the rim. He's not an unbelievable defender, as evidenced by his defensive good. rating. Of 109.9. That's 
middle of the pack defense for a center. That's like that's really good for a, a center that's up and coming, and for someone that you know has evolved so much on offense when he came in as only a def- defender. Defender, this guy could be a preliminary all star in my book. Montrez Harrell is an unbelievable guy, an unbelievable player, and I think getting these two guys is gonna be is gonna be amazing for his development. I think Montrez Harrell is a good player, but I do think you still, if you're the Clippers, you still need to address the center position. They got Zubac. Ivica Zubac, bro? He's like, he very good. He couldn't even crack the Lakers rotation. That's just false. And, I mean, they traded him for a reason. Yeah, they, they traded him, him because he, he was at the highest of, of value. Yeah, so obviously they didn't see too much in him, given that he was a young center. Go look up at his stats last last year. He, he played like nine very well. Points per game. Yeah, in how many minutes? Like 11, 12. He averaged nine points per. There's a reason he played 11, 12 minutes. Like they see the practices. Like if you're relying on a Vika Zubak as your freaking center, I mean, I'm not sure that's a, that's an NBA title caliber worthy center. Given, but I still think there's time. You know, you look at what the Raptors did going out last year and getting Marcus Sewell, a guy who's dependable and who allowed Serge Ibaka to transition into more of a bench energy role, even though they played about the same amount of minutes, which I think would happen if they got a veteran center. You know, I think the Clippers, they obviously have a great team. They have, um, they have a bunch of guys who can do multiple things. Um, and they we forgot to mention, you know, the namesake of our show. We have to give him a shout-out. <laughs> Lou Williams. I mean, that guy's a flat-out baller. He's a stud. He won sixth man of the year again. Averaged 21 points per game. Single-handedly took over a game in Oracle and brought the Clippers back from a 28-point deficit. That guy's a baller. He's a stud, and I think he's going to do incredible things around Paul George. Space the floor. Allow Kawhi Leonard driving lanes. And I think the Clippers, you know, also we can't forget to mention the fact that they have a great Proven coach. Yep. You know, Doc Rivers. It's important. It's, we've seen how important that is. Before, and he's a stud. So that's just a fact. So, but I think, you know, they do have some challengers. Um, I think the Jazz, given what they did this offseason, you know, they finished second in defensive rating last year and 14th in offensive rating. And they added a, a proven scorer. In Boyan Bogdanovich, and they also added a point guard who can actually shoot the ball. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, they got out and they got shooting. You know, if you look at the playoffs, you know, they had the potential. They got into the playoffs and they played the Rockets, but they just couldn't make shots at all. And I think what they did was they got four shooters and a rim protector in Rudy Gobert. And I mean, if you look at the teams in the West, outside of the Clippers, who's really going to guard that match shooting? You know, that is a whirlwind of shooting four players that are just can constantly hit the three and then a rim protector that can also finish when you know people aren't hitting their shots they can go to rudy gobert in the middle it's a great defensive lineup and a great offensive lineup yeah i i agree the jazz are now a force to be reckoned with i think you can never count out the houston rockets and james harden given that james harden can drop 50 on you and i don't think i don't see that style of basketball going that far. But I definitely think they could knock somebody out in the first round and give somebody a really tough time in the second. Uh, I also think the Warriors 
you know, they've made four straight finals. Or actually, I think it was five straight finals, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, five straight finals before this. And obviously, they lost Durant. And Thompson's out for the, or out for Until the majority like January, of, I think. of the year, next year. And coming back from ACL and ACL injury, you don't know how effective he'll be. But you got a young guard in D'Angelo Russell, who is a good offensive fit. On the defensive end, it's a different story. I mean, no, I they're gonna be they're gonna be open like a sieve. No, I I honestly think, and you know, there's some rumblings, you know, around uh, the NBA. Uh, executive and sources that they are actually have no desire to actually play with D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, they're looking they're for a trade, trade because they just wanted some assets for Kevin Durant. They knew he, they kind of knew I think a few days before where he was going to go, and they just wanted something in return. So I have, I I think it makes sense. I mean, I don't think D'Angelo Russell fits that MBA, that offense in any way, shape, or form. He he's not a great spot up shooter. He needs the ball in his hands for a few seconds. And he does not fit that team at all. So, but they could get really good assets with that. I was looking, you know, maybe trading him to Orlando with a fresh start, getting Aaron Gordon. That's true. Yeah, an athletic yeah. wing, positionless player. Right. Because the Warriors are kind of the the uh, you know the embodiment of positionless basketball, given their huge this huge success of their quote unquote death lineup, right. where they had Andre Iguodala playing the four, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green playing, you know, you could debate who was playing the five, but typically Kevin Durant, given he's 6'11", but Kevin Durant's not a center. He's, I mean, he can play any position on the court. He could bring up the ball. So, you know, you have guys who can guard multiple positions. You have guys who can make shots, can do a plethora of things on the offensive end. So I think the Warriors are still in a position to contend. I mean, I we got to say the Lakers. The Lakers of with course. Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, and they, also, they've they've created a great bench lineup. I know everyone was like, "Oh, Kawhi fleeced them." You know, they, they didn't have time to get any other free agents because they were waiting for Kawhi. Um, but they went out and they got great players off the bench. You know, Dan, I like Danny Green. He'll probably start for them actually. Uh, you know, I like getting back Contavious Caldwell Pope. I like getting Boogie on a great minimum contract and getting Rajon Rondo. I mean, both of their lineups are starting like players and we'll see how that how that how they mesh and how it'll work yeah the big problem with the lakers last year was the fact that they really couldn't hit open three-point shots they shot 34 percent on open three-pointers which is far below the league average at 38 so getting a guy danny green who last year shot 47 percent on spot up three-pointers that's a great fit yep. and he plays defense yep so, I think it was a very strong move. I still don't think it catapults them above the Clippers, given that the Clippers are loaded in almost every position. And I still have question marks surrounding both LeBron James and Anthony Davis's durability, given that you're starting to see cracks in LeBron's armor. Last season, he played only 55 games. Yeah, but in that 55 games, he averaged 27-8. Oh, he was, he was good. He was, very, he was an exceptional player, but... He only played 55 games, and you start to see hamstring injuries, mm -hmm. groin injuries, stuff that is basically wear and tear injuries. Where, And I think that could creep up again. So, next question. Did the Thunder make a smart move, trading Paul George to the Clippers, and basically blowing up their core of Paul George and Russell Westbrook that had 49 wins a season ago? 
Well, I mean, I think as a Bulls fan, I've seen and I've started to support the idea of if you really are a mediocre team and you only have like maybe one superstar or something and it's just clearly not working season after season, you should blow it up and you should start over. So I am actually a big fan of what they did. They got they went out and they got six first round picks, five unprotected, one only protected, and then they got a great young point guard in Shy Gilligas Alexander and Danilo Gallinari, I mean, he could be the third best team, a player on a great playoff team. Regardless of what people say, he is very consistent from all over the court. And I think it was I a, wouldn't go that far. I think he's very consistent. I wouldn't cons- go that far, Bunny. Why? Because Danilo Gallinari is not that good. He averaged he's, like 17 points per game last year. And he, unconsistent he is shooting. a negative defender. He can't move his feet. He can't block shots. It's, he's basically, he's a stretch four where he can't move. And block shots. So, in terms of offense, yeah, but having, Spe- but having Stephen Adams next to you, you you can hide Gallinari, and with his offense, it propels their offense a lot. He is effective all over the court. Oh, he's an effective offensive player, but in my opinion, I think he's a glorified Nikola Mirotic. Okay, and what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that, but to say he's the third best player, he could be. He could be a third, the third best player on a championship team is ridiculous. He 100% can be. No chance. He, he's just not that good. He was probably the third best player on the Clippers last year when they had Except Tobias that he Harris got hurt for 20 games. When they had, yeah, that's also been a common theme throughout his career. So when they had Tobias Harris and Lou Williams, and, you know, they weren't close to contention. You'll, you'll watch him on the Thunder next to Steven Adams where he, he, I think he can. He'll play fine, but I don't, see the, regardless, I don't see the Thunder. Like getting above the eight seed, I, I see. Seven I understand that. I understand that he doesn't really have much help, especially if they're still going to trade Russell Westbrook yeah. and stuff like that. But he is a good player, and he's just been moved around this NBA a lot. Oh, he's a solid regardless, player. Regardless, that wasn't my point. Okay. I think that they got a haul for Paul George, and I think it's going to be unbelievable in the next few seasons because I mean, next year they have two first round picks, Denver's and theirs. The year after that, they have two first-round picks. The year after that, they have two first-round picks. The year after that, they have three first-round picks. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, it's just it's continuing. And, uh, you know, 2022 to 2026, they, have, they just have accumulating assets. And it's going to grow because I see them moving Steven Adams or Russell Westbrook before the season starts. And I think it's smart. I mean, I think the the ISO ball that they were playing with Paul George and Russell Westbrook together, it just wasn't working. And especially with how much the West has improved this offseason, there there was no point to keep it together and there was no point to pay these guys three hundred and fifty million dollars. Three players. The next three years, three hundred and fifty million dollars. It just didn't make any sense. And I think it was a great idea. I agree. I think the Thunder uh they were smart to blow it up. Russell West, but I think the first the the question is, is was Paul George and Russell Westbrook just not a good combination, or is Russell Westbrook the problem in general, and is he a cancer that you need to get rid of? No, I, I don't given, think he's ever. I don't Paul think George. Given that there was reported discontent between Paul George and Russell Westbrook, that's bullshit. They were. It's not bullshit. Yes, it is. They were. They were worked well off the court. I think their offenses were just polar opposites of each other, or too close to each other. I think they just. I think Russ Westbrook isn't a cancer. I think he's just never been surrounded by the right pieces. Never been surrounded by the right pieces? Yes. L- like, Getting... Wait, one sec, one sec, one sec. L- let me list off 
the team that they had. Okay, they had a young Kevin team Durant. and they messed no, no, it no, up. No, listen, Sam listen, Presti listen, messed that up and they listen, got to the listen, finals. Listen, listen, just wait. I know what you're going to say. Just wait. Let me list off the team Kay. that they had the year before Kevin Durant for for uh, left for Golden State. Okay. Okay. So you have Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, all 27 and in their prime. Mm-hmm. You have Serge Ibaka. You have Steven Adams. You have Andre Robertson. You have other shooters. Who? Nick Collison. <laughs> you have um, Do you hear yourself? Anthony Mora, who can shoot the ball. Who was 32 at the time, okay. You have other guys who are very good. And really, I mean, it came down. I mean, the, 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 the sorry. The Thunder were up six points, if I'm remembering correctly, which I'm almost positive I am. The Thunder were up six points with two minutes to go in game six. And they simply couldn't get a bucket because Russell Westbrook tried to play hero ball. And as a result of that, it, and of all the times that he tried to play hero ball, you know, Kevin Durant was like, screw it. I'm going somewhere where my point guard isn't going to take like 30 shots a game and be a ball hog who... I don't think he was leaving Russell Westbrook. I think he was joining a championship team. And I, I think, think it was also because he was leaving Russell Westbrook. No, I really don't think so. I think people... I think Russell Westbrook, if, if I'm any other team, I say, hell no. But I don't think it's his play style. I think it's his contract. I think it's he's, both. He's, he's supposed to be given $170 million over the next three years. That's absurd, and that's a lot for someone to take on, especially with everyone getting ready for the 2021 free agency. Um, but I also think it, it is his play style now because of the fact that... He really only he hasn't really developed a consistent jump shot, and that's evidenced by the fact that he shot like thirty percent from three this year, and he took like six a game. He's he's like the modern he's like the NBA RJ Barrett, but <laughs> but um, but he really relies on his athleticism, and given that he's getting up there in age, and that athleticism will eventually diminish. I think his playing style, his contract, they don't fit any team that is rebuilding or isn't a step away from the cha- from a championship. And even that, are you sure you want to bring in a guy who's extremely ball dominant and who might mess up the culture in Russell Westbrook? So I think there are very few fits for Russell Westbrook. And we're going to get into that in our next question. Who are realistic trade partners for Russell Westbrook? So in my opinion, I think the only trade partner is the Miami Heat, given that you know, I think Pat Riley will be able to manage him. Eric Spolstra has dealt with big egos before. It seems like Jimmy Butler is on board with it. And, you know, they recently secured a commitment from Jimmy Butler. They have a pretty good team. They just missed the playoffs. And with the young guys that they have in there, Bam Adebayo, other guys who can improve, I think that could be a relatively good fit. But other than that, I can't think of anything. I mean... Maybe the Knicks solely for from a marketing perspective, given that he'll put fannies in the seats. But other than that, I don't know, like who else would take on that contract, given that in his age thirty four season, that freaking contract will raise will rise to forty six million dollars. And for a guy who's never won a championship and who's made the finals once, and who's averaged a triple double three times. The individual accolades are beautiful, but I'm talking about the team. 
Okay, in those big and moments, I, in those big moments, you're not taking Russell Westbrook. You're taking ten other superstars before you take Russell. Westbrook. Okay, but you have to look at it. Who did Sam Presti surround? Okay, I understand the KD times, but I think KD gets half that credit for their failure. They they were championship contenders, and it didn't work out. They ruined that three one series against the Warriors, and I think they both get credit for that for the failure. But if then after that, who did Sam Presti? put around Russell Westbrook. He put around a young, inefficient Victor Oladipo. He he put around a ISO ball, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. It's people that just haven't breathed success for him. And I mean, I, he's team, done the best last for... Last year's team, first of all, last year's team, the, if you look at, it on, look at it on paper, just solely you know looking at it from Sam Presti's point of view, you see that team and you say, we're a fuck ton better than the fucking Blazers. So, you know, the fact that Russell Westbrook, he shot horribly in that series. Really, Paul George carried them. And Damian Lillard thoroughly dominated him. He put him to sleep. He rocked him to sleep. So, Russell Westbrook, as he's, in no way am I diminishing how good he is. Because he will probably make the Hall of Fame one day. Given that he was one of As he a few players to ever average a triple double, and he did it three times, and he did it three times. From an individual perspective, he's amazing. He works his butt off, but he has one gear, and that gear can also lead him into extreme trouble and severely impact his team, especially in the playoffs. I understand. I think he are also uh, probably the favorite in a sense. I think Pat Riley's. Really, the only one that could facilitate a trade with the contracts and matching the contracts. I mean, he's a he's a wizard at that, and I think it merely just comes down to anyone who has a cap space and anyone who's willing to take him on. Yeah, I agree. Okay, next question. Now that Kawhi has left the Raptors, we're looking at the Eastern Conference. Who's the front runner? Aaron? Oh, Milwaukee Bucks, one hundred percent. I know they they had a uh, a letdown of a season losing uh, <clears throat> to to the ultimate. Finals winners, Toronto. But if you look at it, they were first in offensive rating. Oh, first in defensive rating, excuse me. Fifth in offensive rating. Fifth in pace. I mean, they were hitting on all cylinders through the regular season and then most of the postseason. And I think they got all, they got all their pieces back. You know, maybe except on, Malcolm Brogdon. Except Malcolm Brogdon. But, you know, they... Maybe not on great contracts, especially Chris Middleton. But oh they, <laughs> they got him back. And that's all that matters. And I think that Giannis is going to take another step forward and just be the MVP that we saw last year. And I think this team is 100% the front runner in the East. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, the, the Bucks. I think Giannis was absolutely incredible in the regular season. You look what he averaged, 28 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, 6.5 assists per game. He showed that he is the reincarnation of LeBron frickin' James. But there are other teams in the East who could definitely challenge them. You know, the Pacers, having Victor Oladipo back. They finished the season 4-6 and six in their last 10 games, and they still finished with 48 wins. And I, I, I also... And they added Malcolm Brogdon, a yeah. guy who's familiar with the culture in Milwaukee, who I think could shut down Eric Bledsoe at the point guard position who kind of, you know, brings the energy and makes that team run. You add guys off the bench and TJ Warren and Jeremy Lamb 
add more scoring to a Pacers team that was one of the best teams defensively, uh, gave up the least amount of points per game, I think they could definitely challenge the Bucs. I also think the Celtics, given that they brought in Kemba Walker, replacing him, uh, or replacing Kyrie with uh, Kemba. Kemba's so much better for the chemistry. He fits the fabric of Boston. Man, is he hard-nosed, went to UConn. Yeah, but their defense is still going to be pretty atrocious. I mean, they got... They substituted Al Horford for Ennis Kanter, who plays yeah, oh how much God. defense. Whew, yeah. That de- yeah. So their offense is definitely going to take a step forward. But in terms of chemistry, but really the problem with the the central problem with the Celtics was their chemistry. Right, I understand. And they addressed that with Kemba Walker. And I just don't know if they can guard these other teams. I just don't know if they have that in their starting lineup. And then another team we haven't talked about is the Sixers. I mean, yeah. but it they're... Feels like, it feels like a... Like, mismatched puzzle pieces. No, but that's what everyone's saying. But you have to think about it in, in terms of what's been hurting them. You know, Joel's health has been hurting them. And now they have the ability to say, rest this and let's play our other premier center, Al Horford. And then at the same time, when everyone's playing, they have the tallest lineup. They have one of the best defensive lineups. They, you know, they trade away a great scorer and a great ISO scorer in Jimmy Butler. But J- but Josh Richardson is still a great scorer next to Ben Simmons. And, I mean, it's all going to be about Ben Simmons and the step he takes forward this year. If he can actually knock down a jump shot. Right. But that whole team and is a, a great, throw. great team. And they have so much versatility, which is so important in the NBA these days, to just play with who's, who's available that night. And they have so many different ways they can change that lineup around you know you could put Tobias at the four instead you can do all this other stuff you could play Josh Richardson at the one if you really wanted to they got all these they got a Nito off the bench you know I really think who Raul Nito from point guard he's a great point guard that can hit the three behind Ben Simmons you know TJ McConnell was left. he in the NBA before this year he was 100% in the NBA whoa um, wait what's his name Raul Nito oh Raul Neto Neto I'm he sorry was, he was on the jazz right um I uh, th- Raul Neto. Wow, uh, break up Raul Neto, man. He's bringing the Sixers the ship. No, I'm Sticking I'm just saying they have depth. They have, they have depth. They have scoring. You know, that I'm just saying their versatility, they could make a run for the Eastern Conference, 100%. In my opinion, the only way that the Sixers improve this year is if Ben Simmons actually learns how to shoot a basketball. And if he does that, then I think they have the ability to beat the Bucs. But who was the only person in the Eastern Conference that could guard Joel Embiid? Al Horford. And now they're both on the same team. Now what's going to happen? Lopez did a pretty good job, That's just such bullshit. Brooke Lopez is an atrocious defender. Brooke Lopez averaged two plus blocks per game Okay, blocks. Yeah, because he's 7'2". And Giannis is like an elite defender. He can guard anybody. Let's see what happens with Joel. I think Joel's going to have an MVP year. Listen, listen to this, guys. Giannis averaged... He he, uh, While he was the closest defender, opponents shot 40% from the field against him. Okay. That's second best in the entire NBA. So you're telling me Giannis, who's 6'11", 7 feet, with 7-something wingspan, he's muscular as heck. He can't guard Joel Embiid with a double team. Yes. And Embiid has proven to struggle passing the ball. So, you know, when they, if they double him, and I think Brook Lopez has the girth to guard him anyway, I think, you know, the Bucks match up super well with the Sixers. And in my opinion, the Sixers, you know, this offseason... I don't think they got worse, which many people think they w- thought they would, but I don't think they got better. I think their maximum win total this season will be 55-56 games, which is still good. It's great. And, but they substituted an incredible shooter, J.J. Redick, 
Uh, right. I think Josh that will be the biggest in. part that will, that will hurt them. And 100%. really, their entire offense during the playoffs was pin down screens for JJ Redick, which. Yeah, um, but now they have. And then and then you go into Joel and beat in the post. You just have to understand how important versatility is in this game right now. To have players that could play so many different positions but is so important. Can't play that many different positions. He could play the center and the power forward can position. He play the power forward. One hundred percent. That is his normal position. He came into Atlanta and they put him as a center position. But coming out of Florida, playing next to Joe Kim Noah, that was out always of Florida was like thirteen years ago. Regardless, that He's is the, freaking old. He's, regardless, this will help he looks him. Looks like a turtle now. Okay, this will help him continue to hit a consistent three. This will help him, you know, not have all the burden of rebounding on his shoulders. I think this will really help him and really help his effectiveness help on Al, Al Horford. I mean, he's not he was not only a center wherever he went, you know, he could bring up the ball, he could play make and having Joel Embiid for, you know, a drop down pass down low, it will be it will work wonders for his playmaking and his just effectiveness on offense. I don't know, the, the, that move it feels to me like they're the Sixers are trying to bring back '90s basketball, when Why? the NBA is clearly clearly transitioning into more small ball and, like you said, more versatility. But Al Horford, like he's a good he's a good basketball player. He does the little things, but if you look at his statistics total, they have gone down as time has gone on, um, or his points per game have 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 continuously gone down gradually and. He's never been like that great of a three-point shooter. I think last year he shot 33% from three. So if you're going to rely on him to knock down open threes, as opposed to if they had brought back Jimmy Butler, putting Tobias Harris, a guy who shot 34, sorry, 40% from three-point range last year, and can also move and defend more positions than Al Horford and then have Jimmy Butler at the three, I think, I do think, you know, they didn't get worse, but... They didn't get better in the way that they thought and the way that they spent like a crazy no. amount of money on. Al I Horford. just think that they didn't get better in terms of what NBA fans think. I think they got better in terms of every night, you know, maybe intangibles jo- and right. And, and when Joel Embiid doesn't want to play or is hurt, and they want to just contain him to make sure, because we saw in the playoffs when Joel was not a hundred percent, how bad they were on offense, and just now just switching their lineup a little bit. Because of the versatility that they brought in, I think it will work wonders. Okay. Good. Now we are transitioning to our two-minute Summer League recap. So quickly, some of the storylines. Zion Williamson was shut down. Um, he, he had four dunks, and then they're like, you know what? You're, you're banging someone's knee. Let's not even like exactly. try. He just stop. Just stop. You, you showed people dunks. Just like now, no. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. RJ Barrett is garbage. All right. Let's not say garbage. but Well, he played... Like absolute garbage. He shot seven for thirty-three in his first two games, and two of thirteen from three. You need to understand for those something. Keeping keeping track at home, that is a gaudy twenty-two percent from the field and sixteen percent from three. You need to understand something about the summer league, okay? Uh, as a Bulls fan, I know almost everyone's summer league statistics on the Bulls since I don't know five or six years ago. Derrick Rose shot twenty percent his whole summer league. Okay. Good, I didn't know that. As a first round pick. Okay. Eric Murphy, second round pick, power forward out of Florida. Oh, wow. Averaged 16 points per game and was a just go to scorer in the summer league. And how many years did he, did he, what did he do well uh, for the Bulls? He was on the team, I think, for two seasons. So, um, you know, 
I don't see that really telling the whole story. And, uh, you know, I know RJ Barrett has struggled a little bit with his shot, but I don't think Knicks fans should be discouraged just yet. Okay. Uh, the Knicks came into the Summer League as the favorites, the Vegas. Well, because it's merely their at, starting five right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> Vegas put them at 8-1 to one odds to win it. And for those, uh, you know, monitoring the Knicks throughout the regular season last year and now, uh, it can be confirmed that they still suck. <laughs> So, yeah, they lost their first two so games. An- another, a f- few other top performers. We got Brandon Clark. Uh, all I see is that he was vastly underrated. Uh, you know, Memphis snagged him up late in the first round, and in, he he got 17 points in 17 minutes. He he showed that he can hit the three effectively. Um, another guy, uh, Mafiandu Cabangeli for He's the one Clippers. He's uh, <laughs> one of my sleepers. You know, what I really liked is she shot three for four from three, and that's really what he needed. You know, I, my big concern was that he played a lot too much back to the basket in Florida State. But if he can continue to, you know, space out his game, that'll be really good for him. Yeah, Kevin Gelly's a beast. Now we have and then we have uh, Lonnie Walker, second year player from the Spurs, and he's averaging the most points per game at twenty eight points per game uh, in the summer league. So those are your top top performers. Now, for a final segment, we are having our final debate. And it's a it's a more broad question. About the stat, about some of what happened uh, in NBA free agency. So, as we saw, you know, Kawhi Leonard really held all the cards to free agency and was able to dictate uh, the terms of who joined him and stuff like that. Coordinating with Paul George to come to the Clippers and basically gave the Clippers an ultimatum, saying, "If you don't get this guy, I'm not coming." So, has this increased player power ultimately led? To a better NBA, I think like this is the wrong question. I also think this is an unnecessary question. I mean, I think it's so necessary. I think if you look at it, the success of the NBA, the success of the TV deal, the success of the revenue compensation that they've gotten through the years. I mean, and how much the owners have put into this to the teams. I mean, that's why three billion dollars are thrown around the first day of free agency, and when three billion dollars are thrown around like that. And people are getting insane contracts. People are going to go money-seeking. And I, I just I don't think it hurts the NBA in any way. And I think this offseason actually is a bad example of that because we actually don't have really have a big three anymore. I mean, there's really two players on each team that are really all-stars. But, I mean, there's no real huge contender like they used to be, like when KD joined the Warriors. And I mean, you can make that argument then, but... I don't really understand this argument, and I think it's just merely because the amount of money that's been thrown around and the amount of money that will continue to be thrown around because of the NBA success. Okay, so in my opinion, player power has, I wouldn't say ruined, but it's significantly diminished the excitement and the continuity of the NBA. So Maybe it's just because you're a Knicks So from 1949 to 2018, eight players... Uh, changed teams or signed a hundred plus million dollar contracts to change teams. This offseason, seven changed teams with a hundred plus million dollar contracts. So, in my opinion, that shows that there's a lack of continuity. There's a lack of, you know, tip, you know, back in the 90s, you identified like one player with one team, and he was a legend for that team. But now, since guys move around so much, it really lacks, you know, I, I think it, it disengages the fans 
especially the the fans of you know of teams as opposed to players. Um, I also think you know having so much movement has hurt the quality of the basketball. Given that these guys they haven't had time to play with each other, and therefore their defensive communication, the turnovers, you know stuff like that, which is a normal byproduct of the fact that you haven't played with somebody that long. I think those, you know, the the defensive effort, um, it's decreased. There are more points scored than ever. You can attribute that to, to pace somewhat. But it's also, uh, I mean, there's record field goal percentage. The fact that no team averaged um, or, like, held other opponents to under 100 points per game, you know, average that. Um, or sorry, let me rephrase that. Okay, so no team this year averaged a hundred points against, or averaged under a hundred points or under um, against, and that's unheard of. Especially, you know, you look at the point progression in the two thousands. Uh, the average amount of points scored per game was ninety seven points per game. Now it's a hundred and eleven. You have to understand where the NBA has transitioned. You know, if you look at uh, Kevin, uh, what's his name? Well, whoever wrote Sprawlball, it's the idea that he tracked every single shot, and you get more points per shot in at the paint or the three-point shot, and the mid-range is inherently dying, and that's not because of the big three. That's not because of the players moving around. That's just the transformation of the NBA. And then what's going to happen soon is they're going to move the three-point line back. It's going to be too far. People are going to go back to mid-range and then all this stuff. And then we're going to have the whole transition again. It's just what happens. Like, I, I disagree. I mean, I think, you know, really, you know, from watching these games, there's such little effort defensively that as a basketball purist, it makes me mad. It freaking pisses me off because these guys were getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars, getting paid like hundreds of thousands per game, aren't even putting in full effort. And they're taking their and they also take load management days. Okay, so, so maybe maybe we should shorten the season. So you can yes, get exactly. But I think the increased player power, given that that they would probably disagree, they would probably not allow it because it would cut into their revenue. Um but I think the fact that the players hold all the cards and really boss these owners around now, kind of, you know, it it makes the game less interesting because, you know, these guys... Right, because this whole offseason wasn't interesting? I, I don't think it was that... Or, well, you could say... I think it's... I think my, they've, I created, think they've made themselves the number listen, one listen, sports listen. In, the NBA, in the America right now. No. 100%. This offseason has 100% no propelled that. If you see... Dude, dude, what, the ratings were down... There's more player movement than ever. The ratings were down 5% last year as opposed to the previous year. So it's clear that the regular season, because these guys are, there's so much player power, and because these guys are taking these off days. Or maybe it's just because the NBA is long, and it's just not everyone's watching every single game. It has nothing, why does that have to do with player power? It was the same amount of games the previous year. It was the same amount of games the previous year. Yeah, what happened last offseason? Nothing changed last offseason, though. What are you talking about? LeBron went to the freaking Lakers. Okay, and he didn't play much. Like that would, that and he didn't join any superpower or anything like this. But in the games that he played, I remember Christmas ratings were down like as low as they've been in 10 years. I remember this, and it was the Lakers against the Warriors. It's simple. It's a simple fact. This player movement 
has really ruined the cohesiveness of teams, um, you know, playing hard for one another, caring about one another, and instead it's promoted individuality, and I think it's hurt the teams and it's hurt the players uh, and their legacies. Maybe it's just because you're a Knicks fan. I'm not salty at all. Like, why would I be salty? I mean, I think our owner's horrible. Like, why would anybody come to our team? Our owner sucks. Okay, all right. Our coach is mediocre. I'm simply looking at it from the point of what would be better for the NBA and what would be better for the product? Because ultimately, the NBA... Right now, the NBA NBA doesn't care what you're thinking because they're rolling in money. They're rolling in cash, and it's showing in offseason and how much money is going around. It's showing in how much the money the players are being paid. It's showing how much the owners are being paid. It's showing by just the vast new revenue that's coming in through the G League, through the 2K League. This is not a problem for the NBA, and this is yeah, this is just not a problem at all. I, I disagree because fan attendance was down. Ratings were down 5% last year, so... Although they signed a new TV deal and it keeps increasing every year, which ultimately le- leads to the salary cap to keep increasing, I think ultimately it's going to catch up to them because the NBA and I think these players don't understand it when they take out they take off games or whatever they don't play hard, and I think Adam Silver is trying to you know uh, take matters into his, into his own hand in terms of tanking and stuff like that and playing hard and actually putting out a good product on a nightly basis by shortening the season and making it harder to get the number one overall pick, which I like. But, you know, I think these guys, they don't play hard anymore. Um, they don't do the the intangibles. And I feel like the NBA is starting to become a glorified AU. It's glorified AU where these guys, they're like, oh, I'm friends with you? Okay, come play with me. And I think it's hurt the product. Uh, the fans are less interested. As I think that's bullshit. I think everyone's that... insanely excited for this season because of the difference that this season is compared to the last few seasons that we've had to endure with the with the Cavs, with the Warriors. No one knows who's going to be in the finals right now, and everyone is insanely excited because of this the lack of discrepancy. And I mean, I, I I'll be excited when it gets to the playoffs because I like watching playoff basketball because these guys actually try and they actually play hard. But in terms of the regular season. If you watch the regular season games, these guys, they're, they're, not, they're not playing hard. It's not a good brand of basketball. It's the, each team runs the same exact offense except the Warriors. They all run pick and roll, and for some reason, no team can defend it. Even though it's pretty simple to stop, you just have to like have simple rotations. But nobody rotates anymore because it's just like... AU doesn't teach that. I think you're just as, getting emotional as, at this point because this is not all of this is true. Like that is true. No, it's not. How is it not true? I mean, look at the Bucks defense rating. Look at the Pacers. Look at the. You're, po- you're, you're pointing to to simple outliers in good defense. So there are. A few, I'm not saying all teams don't play good defense, but what I'm saying is that the overall overall scoring has gone exponentially up and I like Yeah, maybe it. that's because of the increase in the crazy athletes that we're getting and the increase in just But if they're such crazy athletes, why can't they play defense? They do, but this is a problem in all of sports. This is a problem that they're not giving their 100% until the end. Like this is not just merely an NBA problem. Like it's it's just not. I I think the the player power within the NBA has led to a sense of entitlement and also the fact that each player like they think they can force their way out of every situation, even if they 
are obliged to abide by their contract. And I think... I mean, we see that in the NFL, too. Le'Veon Bell sitting out, all this other stuff. Like, come on. These guys are... Yes, they're getting a lot more money than previous years. And that's maybe because that, the you know, maybe the power has to come from these guys are getting insane, enormous deals. But, you know, that's just the transformation of of a sports league. You know, everyone's getting insane amount of money these days because of the revenue that it's bringing in. Yeah, I mean... I th- I'm all in favor of, you know, um, more revenue for the NBA. Obviously, I'm an NBA fan given that I'm doing this podcast and we're doing this. But in my opinion, given the, the in the wake of these this huge player movement, and I think it's unjustified in terms of the player power and forcing, you know, forcing... Um, forcing yourself away from certain teams and not showing a sense of loyalty... I think it's hurt the fans and it's hurt the entertainment value. Personally, even though like there is so much excitement in terms of like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen given that the Warriors are kind of broken up, the Cavs don't have LeBron and you don't know who's going to make the finals. I still think there's something to be said to for like staying with one team and really building your legacy with that team. And I think that's more exciting for the fans than all this player movement where so many of the top, like, 10 players have been on three different teams in the past five years. All right. I understand. Okay. So thank you so much for listening. We will be back in the next week to discuss the Summer League and other trades, which I'm sure will happen given, you know, the fast-paced nature of the NBA offseason. So thank you so much. We'll see you soon.